Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a podcast brought to you by Citico, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Citico, and we're back at Blueprint Studios in downtown Salford. Today, we're hosting the first of what will be a regular roundtable on the retail sector in the city. <coughs> Excuse me. With me are Phil Schultz, manager of the business improvement district in the city centre, Lisa Kay, store manager of Keels on King Street, and Paul Hales, area manager of Costa Coffee. To start with, Phil, can you do a quick rundown of recent openings and new arrivals in the city centre? Sure. So it's probably um, best to start looking at uh, Manchester Randale. They've continued to attract significant attention from national and international retailers, driving Manchester's reputation as a leading global retail hub. They actually have over 42 million people visiting every year. So Andale owners M&G Real Estate and Inju have completed a number of diverse lettings this year, and work is underway also on the addition of a new casual dining space for the centre. So new occupiers have included Kiko Milano, which is an Italian makeup and cosmetics brand, La Visa, fashion, jewellery and hair accessories, Nespresso, which I think we know what that is, Baytree Interiors, furniture, home and accessories, Predator Nutrition, iSmash, which does um, high-tech repairs, uh, and a new 4,000-square-foot Five Guys premium burger restaurant this year alone. Which is very good, and I've mentioned that before <laughs> in the restaurant podcast. Um, they're also doing a number of major store refits, which just shows that ongoing investment <coughs> in the city centre in Manchester and by retailers. So, for example, Superdry completed a major upgrade of its 15,000-square-foot store earlier this year, and next which is currently redeveloping its store, the largest in the UK, ahead of um, unveiling all their concepts later on this autumn. And finally in Manchester, Arndale, that £11 million redevelopment of Halley Square, which will become Halley Place, has now begun. Um, this work's expected to take around a year, and many shops have relocated to allow for the creation of this new and um, contemporary casual dining destination. They're going to have 10 new restaurants and a cafe, due to open mid-2018. So elsewhere in the city centre, other retailers continue to open. Around Market Street, we've seen WH Smith relocate its flagship to gain a frontage onto Manchester's busiest street. Oliver Bonus has moved on to St Mary's Gate next to Ando the Stories. So you've actually got two um, interesting stores with an eclectic mix of fashion and lifestyle goods. And then most recently on um, Market Street, we've seen Gina Delato ice cream, just in time for the summer <laughs> on a rainy day today. But that's provided an amazing range of ice cream for, for the city shoppers. In St Anne's Square, it's worth mentioning the £85 million acquisition of the Royal Exchange Building by property investment companies uh, at the end of last year. That's led to a really extensive refurbishment around all four frontages. This is particularly evident in the historic Exchange Arcade underneath, which has been completely redesigned and is now home to a whole host of new and refurbished upmarket stores. And changes are taking place around St Anne's Square generally. Both Barber and Christopher James Jewellers both have been relocated uh, within the square into new premises, and there's further redevelopment of the jewellery stores in that area. Continuing. Nearby Barton Square has seen a continued development of food and beverage, with independent cafe uh, Pot Kettle Black being really successful and doubling its footprint opposite um, the Looney restaurant and deli. And then moving through to King Street, upmarket jeweller Boodles has relocated to a new store in a beautiful mock Tudor building on the corner of Police Street. And just along from there, special photography store uh, Lika has also opened on Police Street next to Fred Perry. So finally, it's worth mentioning that the banks are also very much part of the retail scene and they're responding to changes in the sector with city centre branches actually expanding in contrast um, to what might be in the news. So more self-service provision is made available inside branches as there's a lot more meeting space um, upstairs and these are for detailed consultations about more complex products such as mortgages. So this is all showing confidence in Manchester's economy and it's fascinating to already see NatWest opening a, a really large branch uh, moving from Spring Gardens to the corner of Market Street. Lloyds are completely refurbishing their branch on Market Street and nationwide are moving from Cross Street onto Market Street. So Market Street is very much going to become having some banks name. Thanks very much, Phil. Uh, as Phil said, it is a very rainy July the 26th, 
Um, so we've all come in extremely damp, so that explains any coughs, splutters or anything else. It's not something you should expect in July, I have to say, <laughs> though I suppose we, we come to uh, get used to it. Um, so there's a story of continued expansion, continued brands coming in, which suggests that Manchester City Centre is booming. So um, Lisa and Paul, Lisa first, how's trade generally? Um, so for us, it's absolutely fantastic. We are actually plus 52% year to date. Um, so everything's looking really positive for, for us guys on King Street. We'd have been very disappointed if you sat there and gone, we're 52% down year on year, it's <laughs> terrible, we're moving out of the city centre. Paul, what about you? Uh, likewise, we're doing well, unfortunately not the 52%, which would be lovely, <laughs> uh, but we're, we're doing um, extremely well and we're actually outperforming uh, other major cities in the UK. Um, the business district and the transport network that where we were represented are particularly strong for us at the moment. Have you been affected on figures by having obviously the, the cost are next? Uh, uh, it, it's benefited some of the other stores in the because, location because yeah. that closed um, in April for the refurbishment and reopens in September. Uh, and some of our stores have also benefited by the Starbucks temporary closures in three locations. Starbucks is also moving around where they are, aren't they? Yes. So, yes, so once you've got people addicted to the coffees, they need, yes. they need to go somewhere else if they can't get their fix. Yeah, is, is certainly. The <laughs> We're certainly seeing that in Piccadilly Station. We've got uh, double-digit growth on both our um, uh, stores up there because of uh, Starbucks closure until uh, Nero goes in in August. So hugely yep. beneficial. Now, Lisa, how long has Kiel's been open now as an independent store? Um, so it'll be two years two. in November. And have you seen a change in customer profile during that time? Yeah, I would say definitely more corporate. Um, now we're getting more known. Um, is, is that about recognition rather than anything else, you think? Yeah, people definitely. Like people actually realising that we are there, um, you know, when it's word of mouth and, and loyalty as well, you know. And, and Paul, are you continuing to see numbers expand? And Definitely. I think we, we've seen a significant increase around the business districts, so particularly Spinning Fields and Princess Street. Uh, Lower Mosley Street, Oxford Road, uh, and a lot of them have benefited from the tram work. So we went through the pain of the infrastructure, um, and then we've really benefited now since the, since that's been complete. Um, I think this year as well, in certain parts, we've seen a lot more uh, tourists than what we've what we've perhaps seen in the past, um, and there seems to be a lot more interest when we've had student open days. Uh, there seems to be a lot more people coming to the city. On those days than what we've what we've previously seen. So both seen. tourists, but also international students yeah. as well. Yeah, and is that definitely. true for you as well, Lisa? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Get a proportion of international students coming in. Yeah, especially um, obviously from China because we are number one in China. So we're we're a very well known skincare brand amongst um, the student population. Um, so yeah, again, we are. I would say the destination store. And do either of you do anything in terms of language or anything else to cater to international customers? So we have our own um, WeChat account, which is um, you know, Chinese Twitter, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's how everybody refers to it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and we have two Mandarin speakers in store constantly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so we have that kind of connection with them, and um, you know, make it really comfortable for them to come into the store that they can feel confident that they can um, request what they need. And there's always somebody there that they can speak to in there. I guess if you are language. a huge brand in China already, they already know the range yeah. and they already know what to expect, which is which has been very useful. I yeah, assume. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you, Paul? It's interesting because um, we've got a big presence in China as well. Outside of the UK, it's our second biggest uh, market. Um, so <coughs> they also benefit from Chinese students who are familiar with our brand when when they arrive. Um, we don't actually have a specific social media network that um, we reach out to Chinese students but we do have quite a few Chinese students in 
various locations of our stores, which have, of course is beneficial to us, particularly when, when Chinese students arrive. And Phil, that's been generally the story of the city centre over the last couple of years, of growth in international customers, growth in uh, Chinese students particularly. Not harmed, it's been one of the successful bits of the post-Brexit uh, referendum by the collapse in the pound, I would think. Yeah, very much so. I think if you look, where are we now? July, June was actually the anniversary of yeah, obviously Brexit last year. So, yeah, there was a short-term positive bounce, I think, in terms of the change in the pound and the rate, so the, the luxury elements of the bid, but also um, stores that sell to students like Primark and so on that are around the graduation series you've mentioned. Yeah. Um, Paul, they've had a very successful year this year on the back of against some tough figures last year. I think if you put that together with the um, expansion of the airport, so June was also the beginnings of the Hainan route to China, the direct route last year, so that's just hit its anniversary. So if you put those two things together, a better transport network, and an expanding airport and 100,000 students, I suppose, in Manchester all the time, you've actually really got a growing a growing base to appeal to. Um, but as you say, Lisa, one of the challenges is letting people know you're here. So yeah. how do you go about that? You mentioned social media is important to you. What, what else do you do? Yeah, so we uh, hold events in store as well that are specific. So we do almost like lock-ins. So after, um, after the usual trading hours, we'll um, just invite... Uh, groups of up to 50 at a time and um, obviously we have our Mandarin speakers in there and um, we'll just get different sponsors in so we might have cocktails or uh, you know tea and cakes etc you know just so it's uh, just something just a little bit different something that they can't necessarily get anywhere else you know so we have a point of difference. Mm. You know? I know you Paul you picked up on some of our student nights along Market Street Last yes, year and we're yeah, doing again. Yeah, that'll be something you'd want to join again this year. Yeah, definitely. Mm. They were hugely beneficial to us. I think um, it really showcases the city because what, aside from the fact that it's good for sales, it also brings the city to to life. So mm. there was so much activity, particularly on Market Street and the stores on there, benefiting, and then also in the Arndale. So um, it was hugely beneficial to to showcase the city, and it was a really fun event as well. Because that's the thing we're hearing from retailers across the bid retail district now, that that influx of new students in September, um, both international and domestic, is so, so important to the city's economy. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you, you pick it up on that. I think one of the, one of the things that's been shown with the, in, with the growth in the international students, particularly going into MMU and, and the university, is actually also a change slightly in the, the economy in that um, a lot of people are coming earlier in the year to do language courses, so they tend to be here over July and August mm. and tend to have numbers uh, all year round rather than just those peaks. And, of course, with international students, it's not just relying on the loan payments to come through, is it, and actually having to do everything around the loan payments <laughs> yeah, at that point. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah. If we take a, a little bit of a step back, um, Lisa, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Kiehl's, um, where the brand yeah. came from and how it's developed? Yeah, no problem. So uh, Kiehl's uh, was founded in 1851. Uh, we started as an apothecary in New York, um, the store is still there, and um, it Where, was, whereabouts in New York is? Um, so it's on Thirteenth uh, Avenue. Um, you see, you need to know these things. Don't you? <laughs> this is like <laughs> the Bible. Thirteenth <laughs> and Third Street. <clears throat> okay. Um, and um, yeah, so we started as an apothecary, and it was a family-owned business. And over the years, we've evolved from uh, apothecary preparations, obviously, into. Uh, more luxury skincare, um, hair care, body care. Over in the US, they also do pet care as well. Okay. So, yeah. Um, a huge and growing market. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, so hopefully we will get the pet care over in the UK as well. 
and it'll just be exclusive to freestanding stores and not to Fountain stores. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I can't control that. Um, so, yeah, um, in each store you'll find um, a kind of nod to our heritage. So in the freestanding stores in particular, you'll see... Um, fully working Harley-Davidson's um, because that was part and parcel of the, the family. They were very adventurous, very sporty, and they always bring an element of that into each store. You'll see a Mr Bones, which is um, the skeleton in each store as well. That, again, is a nod to the heritage of when we were an apothecary. We used to use um, the skeleton as a uh, an education tool um, to refer to so um, people could, you know... Um, use it as um, to point out the ailments etc so Mr Bones is there in every store almost as a mascot um, and the packaging um, is very clear um, we like to make sure that everybody can understand what the ingredients are and what the function is um, so it's all very clear very plain there's no you know it's not <laughs> not multicolored it's not mm -hmm. got flowers all over it it's uh, we don't put colors fragrances or parabens in our products we try to keep the products as natural as possible um we try and source um you know through uh, fur trade as well so we wherever we're farming the products we're, we're looking after the communities mm -hmm. as well you know um it's the the brand of keels uh, that nostalgia and the history is very apparent in the way that Catalogues are done. The website is done as well. Um, so, how do you? How does the company balance that with staying as up to date as possible in terms of um, presenting the stores, presenting the website, and so on? Is there ever a clash between those things? I just think that actually people um, appreciate um, true, honest heritage, and that the company has grown um, throughout the years, and it has grown with uh, new trends and, um, new ingredients and uh, is always bringing new, new things to customers. Um, we have our own, uh, team of dermatologists, pharmacists and botanists. So we're always at the forefront of, um, and searching different, different ingredients to bring something different, you know, but what other skincare store do you know out there that's got a chandelier, a skeleton and a Harley Davidson? <laughs> And we've just, um, in the UK beauty rankings, we've just gone up from number five to number four. Um, and we definitely have number one in our site. So you're continuing to expand in number, terms of numbers of stores and so on? Um, they, they've slowed that down. Yeah. Um, last year, they, they did quite a few um, store openings. Um, this year, we've just focused really on, um, you know, getting, getting each store completely right. Um, and obviously, with Brexit in mind, I think... There's been a lot of those thoughts in, in the strategy to just kind of slow it down and focus on what we've got, really. Do you think there's an appreciation it takes time to grow a standalone store? I'm just thinking about where you are with that original modern look that you've got, Manchester or King Street. Yeah. It, it takes a while. You're not in a department store, is it? Where it's a standalone store? Yeah, and I think mm. together, for in particular for Manchester, um, we are the first um, that outside of London that are actually on the doorstep of two well-established department stores that are, you know, um, fantastic businesses in themselves and then obviously Trafford Centre as well. So it's the first time that they've actually done that and I was lucky enough to get that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that one because I know that's a challenge. For, that's an interesting challenge for Paul as well. Yeah. Um, Paul, tell us a bit about the history of Costa. Yeah, so Costa was first founded in 1971 uh, by two brothers. A lot older than probably people think, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, although uh, <coughs> recently on our store, uh, new store concepts, we are writing on established uh, 1971. Uh, and the company had its original roastery on Old Paradise Street in London, which still actually exists there. Uh, 
uh, we're in the process of moving to a bigger site in in Basildon. But uh, the company after it was founded was uh, grew to just over forty stores by nineteen ninety five and was taken over by uh, Whitbread, which remains our uh, parent company. Uh, and in twenty two years, they've grown from forty two sites to over three and a half thousand worldwide. Uh, so it's a real British success story because it's. Uh, uh, obviously based in the UK, um, but we do trade throughout um, Europe, the Middle East. Uh, China's our second uh, biggest um, area where we are located. Uh, so it's a, a huge success story. Um, you're continuing to expand? Yeah, so we are the big, the number one um, coffee retailer in the UK um, and have we've held that accolade since I think about 2007, uh, which is great, and we're also the biggest in the UK, but we are still expanding. So I think... Uh, in towns and city centres, it's slowing down slightly, um, but the big growth area for us is uh, there's still some some areas of growth in travel, but uh, particularly drive-throughs. Mm. Uh, so we've opened uh, a substantial amount of drive-throughs over the last couple of years, and there's a lot more in the pipeline. Uh, and they're, they're very popular, and it is what our customers are telling us that that they want because it's it's easy. Um, and we've we've been doing it now for a few years, so we were quite used to it. And it's a very slick uh, process when people go through the drive-throughs. And we've got only one at the moment in Manchester City Centre, which is just near Old Trafford, um, which we've had for just over a year, um, compared to other cities which have quite a few. Um, and then, uh, you, obviously, you've also got uh, venues in stores, as you have yes, with concessions. The um, but you also. I mean, you go to any service station in the country and it will likely have a Costa, but then all of the 7-Elevens inside will also have Costa machines <laughs> yes. as well. And make, make your own. And I always wonder how that works in terms of the competition. Yeah. Uh, but continuing to find new forms of yeah. selling the Costa yeah. brand. And, and actually, the, uh, the <coughs> uh, motorway service stations that you mentioned, they're, they're all actually franchises because Moto, yeah. Moto and... Um, uh, welcome break on all the franchises within their um, within within the service stations, uh, and it is interesting because I did think that that you'd go and there'd be a very busy big Costa and two or three machines. And I remember one particular service station there's a couple outside. There's one in a Smiths and uh, <laughs> and so on, and and you're thinking, crikey! But they, they're all busy, and I think um, on service stations there's def definitely that that desire to to for the speed, and you get that speed from the machines and. The uh, Costa spent a long time a few years ago developing the perfect machine, uh, and so I believe it's the it's the the best that money can buy. They, they had various businesses from around the world that designed this machine, and the coffee is uh, just as good as what, uh, well, almost as good. Yeah, almost as good. Almost, you don't want to get out of the yeah. uh, <laughs> Almost as good as in our stores, but uh, it is interesting how how popular they've become. I think we've now got over three thousand machines in the UK, um, and then you've also. It seems to me, anyway, over the last couple of years, moved more into food as well, yes. and more into sort of yeah. more cakes and and, and so on. So yeah, more of a definitely. sit down experience than a pick up and run with just the coffee. Yeah, yeah, and I think we we've um, had to had to change because again we we've, we've had a lot of feedback from customers that that have wanted that, and we've revolutionised our food a couple of times, and we're about to go to, to the next phase again with food. We've got various trials coming along. Um, because one of the things that always comes through from customers is the innovation thing. And I think when you operate in a major city centre like Manchester, you have to constantly innovate. Um, and I think when a few years back, a lot of the innovation was very much geared around London uh, with the thought that well, if it works in London, it, it would potentially work everywhere. And we've kind of said, actually, no, we should be looking more at Manchester. 
so we've been quite fortunate to have a lot of innovation come our way. We've got a lot of food innovation now, more coming. Um, we're also trialing Nitro um, and Cold Brew, which is just in Manchester and, and London. Um, so at the moment, there's a lot of innovation coming our way. Um, I guess question for both of you, though, it's an interesting comparison. The Costa on Market Street is sort of a new generation Costa yes. in terms of its design and so on. Um, so talk me through how decisions are made about how that happens and how that affects your sales. And then, Lisa, I guess one of the things for you, for you guys with the sense of heritage is to try and get the stores, if not looking exactly the same, to look fairly similar wherever they are in the world. So is there a sense that that can mean that they get sort of uh, a bit left behind or how do you sort of keep ahead of the market while doing that um, um so we have um what we call store of the future stores now um which every store will now follow uh that lead so we on king street are actually a store of the future so we have um the, the very latest display units and uh, the screens in the windows. Um, so, so my assumption is completely wrong that you're going to keep exactly the same format worldwide. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody else will catch up to us. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, well, that's good. That's always Manchester likes to be first. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. But of you work. have to stay presumably within some parameters so that you're continuing to have the skeleton, you're continuing to have those references to heritage. Yeah, they'll never change that because it's true, genuine heritage and it sets us apart, you know. Um, so, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It works perfectly well. All those things were designed to actually um, encourage men into the stores back in the day. And, um, and I think it was quite insightful really because when you look at the the trend now that's changed you know men are becoming much more um uh in, into grooming and uh you know much more concerned about skincare and etc whereas in the past it wasn't necessarily the case so when you walk into a keel store uh 40 of our customers are actually men really? um you know so it just shows you the, the kind and, of thinking and that sounds like that's well ahead of your competitors in terms of that um, gender split yeah, I, I should imagine so. I should imagine, you know, obviously they'll the, the be catching up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think Kiehl's were definitely at the forefront mm. of bringing luxury skincare to it to men. Now, a question, again, for both of you is, um, as you already said, Lisa, Kiehl's, you've got the store on King Street, you've got concessions in the department stores. Mm -hmm. Costas are, if not everywhere, there's a lot of Costas. How do you manage that sort of internal competition um, to make sure that you're just not taking customers um, from one store to another and, and moving them about yeah so i'm very competitive <coughs> by nature <laughs> and um yes we are uh, very close we are very close and we are we do work as one that's what we are we are absolutely encouraged to do but i can say with confidence that once a customer comes in our store um we do absolutely gain that loyalty and um you know what we do is is take advantage of the fact that in a department store the footfall to what what is their advantage is the high footfall so we take advantage of the fact that when they come into our store we can then really give in-depth one-on-one personal service and we can give quite a long consultation mm -hmm. whereas due to the footfall and the demand it's not necessarily um available on that level in a department store um i know they do the best i'm not you know um having a go at, at all but I, I do know in our store that that's our that we use that to our advantage definitely we also have the photo booth in store, which the department stores don't have. We also have the ability to run the private in-house parties as well. Um, so we, I think we have a lot more autonomy in okay. the freestanding stores as, rather than department so stores. So you are broadly seeing trade expand across 
all the different sites rather than steal from one yeah, from yeah, definitely, yeah, because it's it's self defeating at yeah. the end of the day, you know. I suppose presumably lots of people because they're going into the department stores for other reasons and seeing yeah. kills might see kills, pick it up, and then come to the store the next time for yeah. more of the range or whatever. Yeah, it's. I mean, you could see the online business exactly the same as a competitor, you know. Um, but what online can't do is give that one-on-one personal service. They can't do the healthy skin check. They can't give that advice. They can give a broad range. If you feel that you've got oily skin, then those are the products that we would recommend. Whereas we can actually test the products and offer um, complimentary facials, etc. So it's much more personal. And then, Paul, um, you've got number of different sites. Yes. So how, do you, how do you continually expand your number of customers? In, well, in Manchester city centre, in the small city centre alone, we have 14 sites. I suppose as area manager, you don't actually care. If you're a manager <laughs> of an individual one... <laughs> yeah, you, you care a bit more. We, we, we have 14, I have 14 sites just in the in the city centre and, and that's uh, still set to grow. Um, and I remember years ago, remembering uh, Starbucks and Robson Street in um, Vancouver, and they have two opposite each other. Uh, which I always thought found fascinating many, many years ago. And then the some of that now still applies, I think, in the UK. So in and I have some costas where you can sit in one and watch customers in another one. <laughs> uh, you know, it, so so it is interesting how it works. But when whenever we open a new store, we always bear that in mind. And there is some cannibalisation that's taken into effect. So a store would potentially have a budget reduction to, to pay for the cannibalisation. Um, but often with coffee shops, people there are people who are very loyal and will always go to their same coffee shop every single day, which it's is that, it's brilliant. It's a habit on the way habit, to work or definitely, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But there are also, as particularly um, from a retail perspective, a lot of people who go to the one that they see. So suddenly they think, oh, it'd be great to go for a coffee. And they go in the first one that they see, whether that be ourselves or one of our competitors. So as a result of that, we carefully think about the, the locations that our stores are in so that they are in enough locations really to, to service everybody who is, is visiting busy city centres. Um, and of course, we, we also have various concessions like Primark and Next, which work really, really well. And both of those um, reopening next next month uh, both of those really accommodate customers within those department mm. stores um, although there are some customers that do go specifically into there um, so the cannibalization interestingly is not as much as you would think um, it's ra- rarely gets into double digits decline for, for a store that's got a new one opening up nearby which I think demonstrate and I'm sure other brands would say the same it really demonstrates that there is a, a demand and there is an appetite for uh, coffee shops still and there is still opportunity for us all to to grow i was going to say obviously it's a very crowded market um, yeah so is, is the is the coffee market is it still growing it, it is yeah yeah you, you would think i mean we've got 14 and starbucks and Nero have got uh, a similar amount so uh, and then you've got indie coffee shops as well yeah so there's nearly 50 of the branded coffee shops aside from the independents which are growing very uh, rapidly as well um and, and prepped etc everybody does coffee really now uh, but there is there is still um opportunity for for us all to grow and there is still demand and i think in a city like manchester in particular when the the whole of the infrastructure of the city centre is growing so quickly that uh new areas of opportunity come up at starbucks opened in first street of course which is mm-hmm. which is growing rapidly and i'm sure as we'll, we'll Somebody will be looking at Greengate and so on. So there's still lots of opportunity. Uh, we recently opened three weeks ago in Salford, in Salford Shopping Centre, and we've been doing uh, fantastically well in there. So so there is still opportunity for us to grow in, in city centres. I noticed some of the footprints are changing. Is that based on sort of sales histories and ones that you want to do as 
quick grab and go and some that are more family based yes do you have different yeah. formats in the same way Lisa yeah it was interesting that, yeah. that, that Lisa mentioned the, the formats and ours we, we've really evolved them in the last few years and they're, they're evolving further to, to understand the, the demographics and, and the location that, that we're operating in so there are some that are literally grab and go and we have a new concept called Pronto mm-hmm. um, which is you'd expect a grab and go sort of idea and then we have um more luxurious for want of a better word stores where there's there's really big chairs comfy chairs where we know that customers want to spend some time mm-hmm. there they want to they may be there an hour or two hours and you know some people use it market street too is a good example of that because of the huge downstairs area um, we've put a lot more comfortable seats in there and big big chairs and tables because People do come to to spend some time there. We have a lot of customers that will use laptops, have meetings, and spend You're all day more there. Towards the indie coffee shop model. Yeah, yeah, where, where, where we're encouraging people and... to want the, the dwell time in in some of those um, locations. Um, and again, it varies between stores, but it's interesting that you commented that that's coming through quite obvious now. So we use different color palettes, different seating, yeah. etc., depending on on the location and what we we perceive customers will use it for. And it, it goes through to the um, food as well. So stores where there's a big dwell time will have a lot more food um, than stores that we know yeah. are, are grab and go. Yeah. Uh, I'm always amazed when I see people going into Costa and they grab a sandwich and then they grab a bottle of Coke or <laughs> other soft drinks are available or yes. water <laughs> and don't have a coffee. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah the, we do have drink. a lot of uh, customers that, that do that. And uh, and the cold drinks as well because we do um, ice drinks, restinos, and uh, we have a very loyal following of those who never drink coffee, but we only so it's customers that we only see in the summer because they come yeah, specifically for the uh, the summer drinks range. Now you're both in areas um, where there's an awful lot of competition. Uh, there's an awful lot of other brands working in your areas. So um, both of you, Lisa first again. How does that affect how you recruit staff, train staff, um, try and keep ahead of all of that competition? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously when we're recruiting, um, we like to think that somebody has an interest in skincare, um, but we've kind of moved from recruiting people with skincare expertise. And we've um, just, for instance, we've just recruited um, somebody who was a law student and um, the transferable skills that she's brought to the team is absolutely astounding, you know? So it, that's how we've, we're kind of changing our approach to recruiting team members so that they understand that they obviously have a personal interest in, in skincare and they've got an idea of the competitors. Um, but because of the training that we offer, um, we wouldn't necessarily want somebody from yeah. a different skincare brand. We would want to actually work with a blank canvas almost, you know, so that we can um, train them and engage them in our own way because Kiehl's is... It's very different. Kiehl's is all about making a friend before um, a sale, you know, which in retail is, is quite a different approach to things, you know. So um, it is so nice. So you're looking for those right behaviours that people have and the way that they engage with other people rather than their ability to sell, 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 sell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's all about the experience when you come into the store. It's all about the customer's experience. And is it still relatively easy to recruit the right staff? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like anything. Some people are really good at going through interviews and they know exactly what to say. Um, but I do think that Kiehl's works really hard to retain um, team members. They, they do see the team as a family and it isn't just something that's said. It's something that actually is 
uh, apparent within, you know, uh, the recruitment process right through to induction, right through to, you know, um, keeping people for the, the longevity, you know. Uh, they do invest quite a lot. So I think if people come in and they don't understand really, they, they actually do end up buying genuinely, buying into the Kiel's way of, of um, doing things, you know. And Paul, how do you approach staff recruitment and training? Um, we, again, we don't have too much of a, an issue with re recruitment. Um, we do we pay um, more than a lot of other businesses because our, our, we pay £7.70 to 16-year-olds, um, which really helps because mm -hmm. most companies pay um, minimum wage. So because we, we pay a bit more, we do seem to get a lot of younger, particularly students who do want to, to come and work for Costa. Uh, and the students help as well because we get a lot of students who have started with Costa maybe as a job under 16, um, in their hometown, they've moved to Manchester and then they move with the brand and um, we, we're very good at that across Whitbread, not just in Costa, but we have people move between um, ourselves and uh, Premier Inn. That was my stomach, I apologise for that. <laughs> Our always, engineer always... will be looking through the window going, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> it's always food talk, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so so we, do, we have quite a lot of people come to Manchester naturally as students, which... Um, which helps. The other th advantage, I think, uh, to working in a coffee shop is the hours that you can work. So our early stores open at 4 or 5 a.m. and our later closing stores close at midnight. So um, there's pretty much, it, it really helps to accommodate so many uh, different people. So we have a lot of um, mums that will do okay. Early mornings mm. or work around uh, their husband's hours, etc. Uh, of course, like I mentioned, we have a lot of students, so the flexibility that we offer because um, of the hours that we open seems to um, attract quite a lot of. Uh, people. You, how many staff do you employ across your site? Um, in Manchester, we have just under three hundred um, baristas, so we have yeah quite quite a lot. So we're often uh, and we we link up with a lot of organisations as well. So we've done a scheme <coughs> recently with. Um, Salford City Council. We've run a barista training course, um, supported them with it for 12 people, and then we've, we've offered them all um, work experience. So working with different organisations um, helps as well. And the fact that you're still expanding as the city expands, yes, that must help from a successional point of view in terms of planning and people who want to get promoted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, sometimes the perception of coffee shops is high turnover, people come and go, but are you finding that you're actually people that want to stay and develop a career? Is that yeah? We, we, it's interesting because we oh. our turnover significantly lower than uh, than restaurants and and uh, the average for our industry, which is good. And a lot of it is the opportunity to develop. Um, so we do we have plenty of examples of people who've come in at sixteen as a barista and then they've worked the way up to store manager and even area manager. Um, and you know, right the way across our business from di from directors downwards, the, the business is very very passionate about homegrown talent. And some of our field roles, such as um, core skills trainers, brand excellence champs, um, etc., uh, the only recruit people internally for those roles, which is yeah. which is great. So you know, our team can see that progression right the way through to to a, a field role, so not just at store level. And because we're such a huge organisation with the uh, machines that we mentioned before, the Costa Express machines. There's also a lot of roles there as well. And we, we've recently been advertising for partnerships managers to, to help to look after those sides of the business. And again, they're only advertised internally. Yeah. Um, so so people from right down as a barista right the way through can see the, their career yeah, progression, the progression quite easily and, and the opportunity to, to work for Premier Inn as well. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, for each of you, um, 
what what's happening for the next few months. We're, I mean, we're recording in July. We'll have this out in August, so presumably Christmas is already be, being thought about and probably packaged away, actually. Um, <laughs> so what are the priorities over the next six months or so? Uh, what are the opportunities, Lisa? Um, so we're looking to um, continue. We've just... Um, network with a lot of bloggers in Manchester. So we're looking to kind of do a lot more work um, with the Northwest bloggers um, just to reach, um, you know, a wider audience, if you will. Um, and obviously just continue to generate loyalty and um, ensure that we're, we're constantly in contact with those customers. We obviously treat our customers like friends, so we want to invite them back with any new launches, any events that we're doing, um, and just just maintain that loyalty that we've managed to establish so far. It's working. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And Paul? Um, so we're very excited. We've got our new next door opening next month, uh, September rather, because we're in July still, aren't we? Um, so that's our next generation store, so we're very excited about what that will, will look like. It looks fantastic on the plans and ties in with the, the work that Next have done as well. Um, we've also got a huge extension planned at uh, Salford Quay's Lowry Outlet, and um, we're refurbishing the Arndale in the next few months, our Arndale site. So we've got quite a busy time prior to Christmas, um, and we've also got uh, various events on um, that, that we're undertaking, and we are about to trial our first 24-hour site in the city centre. So it's a secret as to where it is You're not allowed to say. <laughs> not just yet. Watch this space. Just in case Starbucks are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very much indeed. Uh, thanks to Paul, Lisa and Phil, as well as to our friends at Blueprint. We'll be talking more about retail in the near future. Next week, we're talking creative entrepreneurs with illustrators and designers Stan Chow and Barney Ibbotson. If you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcasts at citygirl.com. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes, Acast and Soundcloud or direct from the source at citygirl.com podcasts. Please leave a review, give us some likes if you like what you hear. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>